Hello everyone, welcome to episode 73 of Get Out of Rap. Today I'm joined by David Priest from Q Story. And um, David's been involved in contact centres since 1996 and planning since 1998. It's a, we're going to cover some topics that actually people have been asking for more of. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this. And I'm also pleased that there's someone else on the podcast with also a badger-like beard. There hasn't been enough representation of beards with white bits at the front. So you've got two of us today. David, thanks very much for coming on. Welcome. Oh, no problem, Martin. Thanks for having me on. And, and me beard as well. Yeah, yours is yours is fuller and lusher than mine, I would say. Scruffier, I think the word you're looking for is. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. No, it's great to have you on. Um, I think you're very well known in the in the industry and like I say these are um, topics where I get a lot of messages from people saying when are you going to cover kind of planning and do some more episodes on that because we've done a few um, but probably not as many as warrants and it's a really interesting time for that area now so really pleased to have you here. Oh, thank you very much yeah it is it's a a really difficult but fascinating time for, for people involved in planning. They've got lots of challenges that they've they've never ever considered that they'd ever face. And you, um, before we sort of touch on those challenges and how people, and you can share tips about how people might um, turn those challenges into actually big wins. Um, so can you just talk me through your background? How have you got to this point here? What's your journey been? Well, I think like everybody else involved in, in planning, um, I just sort of fell into the tar pit that is contact centre planning. <laughs> you, you look to get um, away from the phones. What I did by then uh, to get off the phones was to become a trainer and a training manager. And then I eventually became um, what was called a call centre controller for Labbrook's Telebetting several years ago. And... Um, that introduced me to the world of having to produce a schedule for people um, and match up supply and demand. And I was looking at the, the, the stuff that they were doing and the, the difficulty in doing the forecasts. And, and suddenly I realized I was actually reasonably good at this. And you know, we, we went from being fairly disorganized to having like a really good understanding of what our drivers were. Um, and coming up with like a, a working rotational schedule pattern just using Excel. And then that was it, really. Once, once I discovered after years, so bear in mind, I was about 26, 27 at that time. So after years and years of not being good at things, to suddenly find something that felt quite natural to me, it was obviously going to be my career, really, from now on in. So then I've done pretty much everything within planning. I've done capacity planning. Um, I've, I've been forecasting, I've done real-time management, and then I, I moved into the wonderful world of the vendor and uh, ended up at Q-Story. Took a, two years out to go and work uh, for the forum, the planner forum, which was a, a job I always really wanted. And then uh, the call of Intraday Automation got me, and uh, I, I felt like I really needed to come back and finish what I'd started, so here I am. Now you're at um, Q Story. I am, yes. So um, fantastic little company. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're the, the, the mouse that roared, really. We're, we're, we're only little, but we're very, very powerful. Um, and we're, we're moving um, right the way through the market. We're a big dis disruptor for the big players in the market. It's just a fabulous place to be at the moment. 
That's great. I just want to go back to, so you started on the phones. Mm, yeah. And like to get off the phones went in, and I just, I love how everyone I speak to, of the vast majority that have been in contact centres have kind of had this, it's not often, it's not always a seamless journey, but the kind of, you, you've been on the phones, I think everyone has a, a shelf life um, for that kind of activity, unless things change or you maybe change your hours or whatever. Uh, then you went training. Training to planning is quite a strange, it doesn't feel like a natural, a natural move. Did, um, how did that happen? Well, I went, to be honest, I skipped a bit there. I went from training and then managing somebody else who was training into being a team leader. Right. Air Miles in what was the flight sales department there. And then, um, therefore, managing people, I then got into that that call centre controller role. And it was was really a combination of finding out I was good at that and also being fed up and managing people. (laughs) Wonderful things, but it was when the when the excuses for for bad performance or whatever started to clock round and you went, no, I've heard this one before. Um, It it suddenly was was time for me to move away from from managing other people and actually sort of managing what they did in in blocks during the day. And then when you got into the uh, the whole world of planning, did you have to um, self-learn? How did you you do that? How did you become? So you find that you have a natural tendency for it, right? And And you enjoy it. Um, and then maybe it unlocks this kind of like I've forgotten the kind of the the way that the graph goes, but you you suddenly know now what you don't know, and then you are then you're trying to fill that gap. How how did you do that? A lot of research, um, a lot of trial and error, and then in the early two thousands, um, signing up um, with the professional planning forum and attending a lot of their events and uh, I think pretty early on in one of those just as I was sort of you know feeling for my expertise I, I met Phil Anderson um at an event and you know he helped me a lot over the years but I, it was just I'm quite a self-starter so it was just a desire to find out how to use this wonderful thing called Excel and how I could do it better um, you know, I remember learning about a function called some product and thought only Christmases have come up once. You know, that, that's how that's how geeky I am. That's how appallingly boring I am. But yeah, just just constantly researching and just looking for different ways of doing things. I'm still doing that now. I'm still looking uh, for, for people who are experts um, who've got ideas about different ways of doing things. Um, I'm always I've always wanted to sort of challenge that. You know, it's always the way we've done it. That is the way that we've always done it around here. I can't stand that type of thinking. So it's just better if we can get out there and find a new normal, which is a horrible phrase, isn't it? <laughs> but, that, but that new way of doing things is always going to exciting. Do you, um, I mean, I like, you, it, you can tell you're, you're passionate about it. And I love just the, the idea of a younger you just going out and saying, right, I want to know more. I want to know more. I often think... The world you're in, from the looking at the whole contact centre, you've got um, it's much like kind of the military, right? We've got all of these different intakes coming in, who are the future sergeants, engineers, pilots, whatever. I always felt wherever I'd been, 
that maybe planning didn't do enough self-promotion, didn't do enough um, maybe trying to find out amongst the workforce the type of people who would absolutely love it and give them that kind of pitch and say, if you do want to come off the phones, you don't just have to go either staying in the vertical of ops <coughs> or, go, or go into tra training or going to QA. There's actually, this is, this is a nice play, place to be. What, what would you pitch to people? And also, what would you be looking for? What are the, some of the skills and behaviours that people would need, do you think, or that would lend itself to do it, to having the same sort of career success that you've had? I think I'll start with that one, if, I, if that's okay. That yeah. one, I think over the years when I was working, what people thought they needed to look for in, in an analyst was somebody who was extremely numerate. So, you know, you, you can ask, again, I'll refer to Phil Anderson. You can ask him. He, he, he was asked to do something because he was pretty nifty at Excel. Um, and I think the, the very, very best analysts I've worked with um, are fairly numerous, but they like, the, they like the technology do that for them. What they are is amazing communicators. And I think mm. that's that's the, the biggest mistake the planning makes. And hopefully that's being sort of resolved now. We, we want to we bring it into the, the realm that what you're doing is you're an analyst and a translator. So you can have a look at the numbers, but actually translating that into a language that non- analytical people can understand that's the skill about being an analyst mm -hmm. um in terms of how i pitch it that's, that's a really really interesting question and it's a, a really difficult one um I, i'd like to put together one of those adverts that like the army do you know where it's all about adventure and travel yeah. see the world yeah I, i'm not quite sure that it really works like that in planning but i'm also not entirely sure it works that way in the military either um <laughs> I suppose the, the thing do, that ties them both together is you're both there to be shot at. Um, yeah, it, it's both a high, it's a high risk environment uh, for everybody, really, especially for your ego in planning. But I, I think one of the the most memorable things I've ever heard somebody say when they were talking to somebody on the phones was instead of moaning about what your schedules are like and the fact that you're always busy, come and make a difference. Come and come and find out. A different way of doing it. Come and come and challenge the way that we do these things. So, so maybe that's the pitch. Yeah, I love that. Not moaning. I love that. I think back to um, my career heading up ops teams, uh, kind of team leader, then a manager, then above, um, and my interactions with my interactions with planning. The ones I preferred uh, that I've got good. Well, I have good relationships with everyone, but the ones I prefer, the ones that I really felt we were a team an extended team were the ones that didn't just say no so if i went right here's what i want to do i want to and i could see people getting ready sometimes to say what he's let's say no um i would be like i want to take the whole sales floor off at the same time and we're going to do this and then we're going to do this rather than just de the no it was all it the people that would just had a different way of thinking was, well, that can't happen. I tell you how it could, how we could do something that what, or they would say, what are you trying to achieve? Yeah. What is it that you want? Get more information. 
and then work out a, a solution. I, I love that, the, having that kind of mentality uh, rather than just going, oh, God. I, there was a little bit of that, I'm sure, where here he comes, what does he want now? <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's the thing, isn't it? In the end of the day, the planet is there to serve the business and serve its customers and serve, you know, as, as one of their customers. You w- if, if, if a customer came over to you uh, and asked you a question, you wouldn't automatically say no. So why should a mm-hmm. planet say no to you? Taking everybody offline at the same time, yeah, I'd be looking to find out clarity, if we can't do that, what's the next best option that you've got available? Um, or, you know, here's some steps that you'd need to take. You'd need to put a message out, you, you know, on the IVR. You'd have to um, maybe draft in another department to take really easy calls and then ask you, you know, is your desire to take everybody offline stronger than the, the work that we as a whole group will have to do to sort of mitigate against it? And we'll come up with a solution. The idea is, the way I always look at it is the operation, they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I think all, all it is, is it's trying to find the best way to do it, you know, and you, and I'm sure you, you, you've encountered people in, in your career as well, where it's like, well, yeah, I know they said no, but I'm just going to, I'm going to take people off in groups of 12 and, you know, we'll just see what happens. And then the planning team have lost any sort of control over it as well. Mm. So it's kind yeah. Of productive for them. Yeah. Now, we, we had a, there was quite a lot of things we could have talked about. One of the things I want to start with is um, some of the words, actually, that have come into our vocabulary over the last 18 months, one of those being hybrid workforce, right? So um, businesses are going to face the challenge of, of working with them because you said, you said at the outset how the last 18 months has probably been more challenging for people in planning and workforce management than any other time but now that this hybrid is here to stay how what what is the advice around meeting that challenge and actually turning it into a positive yeah well, I, my personal viewpoint is that it's a positive anyway because the work you know it opens up so many different things for your workforce as long as you're thinking about what your definition of hybrid is. So when, when the, the pandemic first started, people were talking about, oh, I'll take a hybrid approach. Um, I was of the opinion that you know, the most successful way to do that would be to have people who were dedicated to working from home and people who were dedicated to working for the office and finding your a split between the two. But it turns out that a lot of people I was speaking to, their definition of it was they were going to have people working a fixed number of hours in the office and a fixed number of hours at home so, so there are different ways and means to do that um, but I, as, as I said I think it's, it's actually a positive for the whole work-life balance thing as long as we get that right and the key for me is is it's in it's not really in the world of planning it's in the world of operations it's how are you going to protect people's work-life balance because when you work from home I can see you work from home you know, you do tend to have slight blurred lines around when you start and when you finish. You, you, you'll suddenly end up working a, a longer day. We've got to make sure that we're not just exploiting people's circumstances to get some additional flexibility out of them and some additional work. Um, as long as we're communicating directly with those people as well, and as long as we can replicate most of the things that they the good things that they get out of working from the office so 
but they've still got an idea that they feel like they're working within a team, that they're still receiving regular communications. They still feel that they've got a direct line into you as their manager. Um, and also that we're open to the fact that maybe, you know, hybrid, just like working in an office five days a week, it might not work all the time for everyone. And, you know, as long as you've got that sort of plan that you go, okay, well, you can come up at work in the office full time for six weeks and see how that goes. As long as you've got that sort of flexibility in there, I can't see how it would go wrong really for everyone. I love that. I love that thought then. I hadn't even thought about that of actually making sure that operations don't, I guess, kind of get mission creep. So if there's, let's say we've all been in this position, you need, you need overtime for different different reasons. Are there people out there having conversations going, well, you can do an extra half hour. You're only, you're at home. So it's not like you have to go home or I'm stopping you from going home, you're home. So just do an extra half hour. I didn't even really considered that that is something we have to be mindful of, especially with, I know there's been a lot of surveys and reports that we're working longer hours um, now that we're we're at home and I'm pretty sure across the board everyone's sickness has gone down um, maybe you know I think attrition numbers are roughly still the same but definitely short-term absence where, where I work we've seen it drop drastically in the in this period um, so that's a really interesting point that you make and I guess there's an extent to which planning can be the eyes and ears that you guys really are the first ones that can start seeing some early early warning signs or be the ones to bring those considerations into the conversation right yeah i think so um i think in terms of i think it probably predates planning as well because it's about it's about the policy and it's about the aim of the business initially isn't it so if if the policy is that that's acceptable and people do it we'll be the first people to see the impact of it. So we'll be able to understand that, you know, um, attrition is, is creeping up or short-term absence is creeping up or just productivity is going down because people are spending more time in, you know, not getting out of wrap. Um, yeah, so I suppose we'd be the first key indicators of that. But I, I think on the whole, what we just need to do is the business needs to think about what it wants to achieve and actually think about its policies beyond, you know, it, it, prevention is better than cure really, isn't it? So if we can, if we can make sure that everybody knows it's just not cool to, to, to encourage somebody to work um, an extra half hour all the time, you know, there, there are systems out there at the moment that, you know, can really keep an eye on how many hours people are working each week. Um, and contact centers are famous for just collecting loads and loads of data, aren't they? So let's mm -hmm. use that data for good rather than evil purposes. Let's actually, you know, get people looking at the data about, well, you know, Jimmy has worked far too many hours and it's affecting his, it's his performance and therefore his health as well. In, in your community, in your sort of sphere of excellence, what have there been any surprises from the the pandemic or has there been anything that you thought at the outset this is going to really challenge us and it hasn't or vice versa you know how how has it been for for you um for me 
talking to other people in planning teams, what astonished me about the pandemic was how quickly businesses moved to home working models. Um, years and years and years of maybe men, you know, talking about that and fighting the good fight and coming up with a lot of resistance. Um, you, know, you had, had, had businesses moving two or 3,000 people out in three weeks, which is absolutely incredible. I, I mean, just, you know, bravo. And the other thing that really surprised me for the good was about how important, oh, sorry, the high level of importance that was placed on mental health and well-being mm. of people that they mm. moved. Um, my big fear was that in all of that rumpus just to get people home, people wouldn't, you know, they'd forget that these were people and they'd think about them as being staff coverage or, you know, um, that famous power of one presentation, you know, there'd be that, that, that one that's in there. Um, but no, a lot of businesses worked really, really hard to make sure that they they had like water cooler sessions where, and, you know, just meetings just at least once or twice a week where you were actually banned from talking about work. It was just an opportunity to, to talk about, you know, to just be friends and have the chats that you would do over the over the dividers in the office. That was superb to see. Mm. Um, and I think. Another thing that surprised me was how quickly some organisations drew their particular line in the sand. Um, about three weeks into it, uh, the pandemic, I was I was working at the forum and we did a webinar about um, COVID nineteen, and uh, one organisation uh, declared during that that session, "Yeah, that's it. We've made our mind up now. We'll we'll, we'll just move into a home working model. That, that's it. We're not going to work in any offices." And it was like, blind, yeah, that's quick. That, that, yeah. that's, that's Three weeks quick. in. Yeah, because, you know, you've no idea what the long-term effects are because they'd seen mm. productivity go up. They'd seen non-COVID-related sickness or furloughs, you know. They'd mm. seen people who were left, there was hardly any absence. And it's very easy to go, well, that's happening now, and that's because people are working from home. But we had a full-on lockdown. Nobody had anything else to do. People were worried about being made furloughed mm. losing their jobs perhaps so they were they were probably more focused on you know staying in work but also and if we're all honest we'll all probably agree this it was slightly exciting yeah we've never been in that situation yeah certainly people were working from home and going, oh god this is great isn't it so it was a matter of time before that was going to sort, sort of fall back into abeyance i felt so i did mm. think that was a bold move by that particular company probably one that they're yeah, looking back on now and regretting. Well, I wonder, I think, um, just talking to you, I think it's already come across how important workforce engagement is, but also I guess the other thing is being flexible and, and, and agile and not being so stringently dictated to one set of work, one way of working that you can't amend. Because like you say, that feels like, five years ago doesn't it just how you explained that kind of lockdown one where we are now um is 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 very very different i don't even know what you'd call this current lockdown 26 lockdown but not <laughs> lockdown it's kind of do what you want and everyone's yeah. a bit confused um that kind of you touched on it then about kind of mental health and making sure people are still trying to engender us still have that team ethos and sense of community and these aren't things that you would naturally say would be top of the agenda for um 
planning teams, but that's really important to you and certainly for you guys at Q Story as well, isn't it? Without a doubt, yeah. You know, I mean, one part of one part of like intraday automation software, but one thing that we're very, very keen on is being able to engage with the workforce. So, you know, it's about making tools available to people just generally, you know, and, and even using the tools that are available at your disposal uh, now. It's about using them creatively and making sure that you're communicating with people remotely. So I think it was probably always the case in a place that I worked in in Manchester a few years ago, whereby the people who sat immediately around the real time team had a fantastic relationship with them. anybody on a floor above, below, or over the road in another office. They were finding it more difficult for them to communicate because face to face communication was was king. Then you'd want to go and talk to somebody. Um, obviously, we can't replicate that. We can't have people going all over the country. So it's been a real challenge for people in planning to make sure that they can engage with people. Because as you you put your finger on it really before about the fact that we're we're the first people who see these things and and you know, see the possible effects downstream of all of all of, mm. you know, the impacts of these. So it's vital that we're able to sort of communicate with people and get a sense of how what we're doing is affecting them and their performance because it's only going to affect our bottom line in the end of the day if we're if we're working people the wrong way they're they're, they're going to find ways to get the shifts that they want they're going to mm. find ways to get the rests that they need mm. um they're gonna they're gonna walk away and find another company who are much more prepared to help them and to focus on their sort of development and their mental health than you are it's I love absolutely that. Vital. I'm going to ask now some obvious questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question, is there? So no, none at all. Some stupid um, answer does it about the time. <laughs> what what is uh, intraday automation? So intraday automation is is a, um, it's a piece of software that will uh, look to automate all the mundane tasks that real time teams do on a day to day basis. So. Um, if somebody moves their break or if somebody wants to do a shift swap, then there's a lot of communication with regards to that, a team leader or an agent themselves talking to real time. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. They, they get told no, they go and escalate it to somebody, it goes up the chain, there's 20 or 30 emails about it. And then in the end of the day, somebody has to manually change those schedules in the WFM system. And none of that work adds any value at all. It's just it's pain, it's uh, annoying, 
um, and it, it's just deflecting and diverting people away from something which could really be called analysis about what's going on. So uh, internet automation software just takes all of that away. So it will enable you to, um, depending on which, which system you use, either follow a set of rules or um, allow your system to make some, uh, some recommendations, um, some intelligent recommendations for how you redeploy people. Uh, and then it automates all that mundane task. So a really good example is, you know, re making a recommendation to move 60 people from phone to asynchronous messaging. Um, and, you know, being able to change their telephony skills so that they're not going to take any phone calls again and updating their schedules to make sure that they're still in adherence uh, and that we can, we can sort of monitor what they're doing. So it's a, it's a, it does a, it's a really wide-ranging thing which can help team leaders, it can help your planning team. It can also really help your analysts, yeah, so your agents as well, because they can interact with that piece of software, make requests for something. They don't have to wait for permission. They'll get a yes or no answer. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe in a few percent of that, they escalate it and something manually gets done. But most of the time, we'll be able to give them an instant response, yes or no, one way or the other. And it's just removing people work in the chain then, just kind of, because they're tasks that happen all the time, the things you've just said then, I want to change my shift, I want to change my break, I want to change my lunch. They're happening every single day, whether we're in a contact centre or at home. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, we, we spoke to one company once and they were saying uh, on, on average in a month, they had 8,000 communications into their real-time team from advisors and from the team leader population. Wow. If to make changes to, to, to schedules. Now, you know, that's not 8,000 individual changes. Maybe that's a thousand of them and there's eight reminders. We, you know, we've never really found that out. But, you know, a month after... You've got a team of 20. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and it's, just, it's just ridiculous. You know, I mean, in the end of the day, it's stuff that needs to be done because we need to keep a handle on what people are actually doing. But it's not adding any value. And what we've always found um, when we've been talking to people is there's a whole host of people out there who are labouring under the job title of real-time analyst or intraday analyst. And they're not doing a single piece of analysis. They're doing diary management for team leaders. They're yeah. doing um, admin tasks. Some people are even doing facilities work simply because they can't find anywhere else for it to go. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that if we can take all that mundane stuff out, you can actually start to analyze. There's so much data. You know, being able to go back to your operational managers and say, do you know that your team's productivity was affected by A, B, C, D, and E. And if we make these changes, we can, we can resolve that. That's really adding value to the business rather than changing Jimmy's break from 3 o'clock to 3.15. It's a really good point because, it's, as you say, they're administrate. That's an administrative task rather than analysis that should lend itself to making operational changes for the better. Yeah, 100%. 100%. That's, that's what we want people to be doing in that circumstance, don't we? You don't want a forecaster to sort of stop their technical understanding about drivers just to tick a, a, a box or make a change in the system. Everything that a forecaster does 
has got to add value to the whole process. So, so why not the real time people as well? I have another. I have another question that's kind of always been in the in the back of my mind as I read about more and more how um, if you think about the future gig economy, people having loads more jobs with different companies and they kind of jump in and do a bit of work here, a bit of work there. I think like a lot of people who are a bit long in the tooth like us, my best performers were always part-time. I think it just lent some of our work lends itself to focused activity for a couple of hours and then go and do something else. Um, if, if you sort of think about this way of working that's coming with younger generations and how the world of planning copes or gets ahead of that with also, am I right in thinking there's, there are companies that are allowing their team members to bid for shifts or everything's flexible. How do you even, A, is this real? Is this really happening now? And B, what for people out there that might be quite traditional but want to then maybe attract younger staff members and move into this world, what, what would you say to them? Well, first of all, shift bidding is definitely coming. It's definitely growing. It's been quite big in America for a number of years. It's definitely on its way over here. Um, it really will suit your your sort of Gen Zs and millennials uh, out there because that ability to be able to hold down three or four different roles and decide when they're going to work in each particular one on a, on a regular basis definitely seems to work with people's lifestyles these days. And there's there's less of a burden on loyalty then because they, they don't they don't feel that they're being loyal to one company anyway they're working for three or four yeah um now from a planning perspective it's it's about being able to offer um i've heard the term it's almost micro scheduling it's being able to offer small pockets of work which are focused and, and put in at the right time and are attractive to people based on their lifestyle so um, and it's, it's, that's a challenging thing to do because obviously the customer is always going to be king and we want to answer their, uh, their queries mm. um, and make sales to them. But being able to offer that interesting array of short shifts, which is a, a benefit to the, the agent, is really going to be a key attractant. Uh, especially if we if we take gig economy and we add remote work into it, yeah, you can work for anybody in the entire world. Um, so every, it'll be the companies that offer the most flexibility when it comes to those those short shifts that are going to be able to pick the cream off the top for the agents that they really want. And now, I guess sorry, it, it's just it's really interesting that when you were talking there about about your most productive people being being part-timers because you know the whole industry does does function on on part-time work and it's the other challenge for the planning team there is just making sure that the number of opportunities to get those um part-time people offline and get them developed and get them trained mm. to keep them you know uh to keep that productivity high that's that's a challenge that people are facing and that's what a gig economy workforce but being able to plug those gaps to enable you to take those people offline and do that, that will be really, really key for quality going forward, I think. 
that's a really good shout because again i think things have to be done differently if i think back to the part-timers that i'd had in my teams who most experienced most productive best kpis but the the thing that they would struggle with is new changes policy changes product changes whatever it may be working around training um they were doing part-time because it's that fit their lifestyle right and then yeah. you say right we've got training in the morning well i don't work in the mornings okay trainers will come we we'll have to speak to the trainers so you make a really good point because if that then gets chunked up even more and the flexibility is even more and very very fluid i guess it means how we train people and how we you know i see now for example that um mbas are being offered in a in a different way you know there's the way with the way that people are learning is different and we're going to have to we're going to have to reflect that i was going to say i've always i've always understood that planning for a successful operation to to be successful planning have a massive role to play in that but just as we're talking now about you know bidding for shifts working with people that have got four of the companies that they work for maybe studying as well the role of planning is going to be even more important going forward yeah without a doubt um one of the things that the last 18 months two years have, have proven is that a good planning function can get you through even something that's completely wild as a as a global pandemic um and hopefully operational managers and senior managers have been able to see that benefit for themselves as well because we're we're noticing with companies that we talk to and very much while i was with the forum talking to member organizations a lot more of the planning teams are considered to be really really central to what the business is trying to do um because there's a lot of trying to turn the oil tank around at the moment with these businesses and they've been as agile as speedboats over the last last, last couple of months uh, last few months but it's it's absolutely vital that they, they center they put the planning team right in the middle of things and they give the planning team the right sort of platform to be able to help to direct the business through through all the periods of change that, that are coming forward. And one of the things that um, you mentioned when we were kind of getting together to sort this um, to sort this episode out was actually linked to that. And it was about how going forward, um, real time kind of agility, let me get this right, would be more beneficial to businesses than forecast accuracy. What, yeah. what, what do you mean by that? Because it, it seems counterintuitive. It does, doesn't it? And um, I think this, this came out when we were talking to people about the changes that they've discovered in the pandemic. So when people have been doing forecasting previously, no matter how fancy their forecasting techniques are, what effectively it's all based on is a lot of historical data that they can have a look at year to year, month to month, day to day, so that they can say, well, that's happened with those drivers. These are our drivers now. So this is what we think is going to happen. And by and large, you know, people have been relatively successful with that. Then the pandemic came along and volumes dropped off a cliff. Customer mm. behavior changed entirely. 
and changed regionally when various different elements of lockdown went, you know, when you had a yeah. grading system. Yeah. Um, and suddenly businesses were looking at their historical data models and going, oh my God, I've got nothing. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, never mind in three months' time. And when I was obviously when I with my experience and my background in in uh, in today automation, it became really, really apparent that the key to success with all of this volatility is being able to flex your workforce at very short notice to be able to handle either peaks or troughs in demand. Give them something to do, make sure that they're really productive um, or cancel what people are doing, get them all back online to answer the, 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 uh, the uh, customer's query. And after looking at it with a, a lot more, you know, with a, a bit more of a uh, critical eye, I was looking back at what, what people's forecasts were like before the pandemic, even with all of these fantastic models. Mm. And when it came right down to it, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis or on an interval by interval basis, forecasts were way out. So even with all of that historical data, people weren't forecasting well. And what was really causing the issue was a lack of flexibility in your workforce. So mm. you were expecting 5,000 calls, you got 6,500 calls, it's only 1,500 extra calls, but there's nothing you can do with your workforce because you can't move people in. The manual processes around it are too stodgy and too um, time-consuming for you to be able to flex your resourcing, and customers were suffering as a whole. And it became really apparent that if we put, if we reverse the model that we've got at the moment, whereby we do a lot of focusing on making short-term changes, and we push all that effort back into our long-term forecasting and getting our overall basic numbers right, then the business will definitely feel the benefits. So if when you're building a budget and you're saying, how many FTE do we need? That's when you need to put all your work in to make sure that when you're saying we need a thousand FTE, you're, you're roughly right based on those plans. You know, a thousand FTE needs to be more accurate. And then as you get nearer the day, you can let things like intraday automation tools, no matter which one that you're, 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 you're picking, which one you're signing up to, you can let that take the strain and actually say, okay, well, my forecast variance is actually 20%, but my flexibility in my workforce is 25%. So it doesn't matter. I can still handle all of those volumes or I can still find uh, useful training time or one-to-one -one time for people to do because I've taken all the manual workload out of that and we can move people just with a snap of a finger. And the, the businesses who are, who are going to be able to do that, I think, and have have their, their budget right, but then, you know, on the day, it's a bit of a free-for-all, but we'll make it happen. Um, they're going to be much more successful because it's that agility to meet, you know, we don't even know when the customer is going to call within a single 15 minute mm. interval. That's mm. what Erlang is for. Mm. So if we don't know it down to that granular level, we don't need to schedule people that tightly to a demand that we don't really trust. What we need to do is just have roughly the right number of people in and flex up and down uh, and, and make the best use of our resource. I'm sold. <laughs> I, I, I'm, so, I, I'm sold on real-time agility because 
when you think about it and jump in at any point I'm getting this wrong, but it seems to me the best way of having your workforce set up, uh, the greater the flexibility that this workforce are able to offer the better, right? Yeah. So that starts with that. That has ramifications across everything. So how you recruit, who you recruit, what the terms and how they're brought on and what they understand the job to be, how they interact, how they're supported, paid, everything. Such big ramifications. Again, I get, I, I love it because the, the ability to be able to get your workforce to react in, in, the, in the moment to the peaks and troughs of work sounds amazing. Again, though, highlights the importance of the planning team because it, it would be, you could bring in people and say, it's a real flexible job. We're gonna do a set number, you'll do a set number of hours between these times, we'll give you this much leeway. It's for nothing if you don't have a planning team that's able to coordinate that, to kind of like herd the, heard these now wild sheep it's more like a head and cats <laughs> but the i think you've hit the nail right on the head there i think that the big thing for me is being able to make those changes quickly and not associated with all that manual work and stodge because i think planning teams all over the place will go um i can see we've got a problem at two o'clock and i know how to fix it but it's actually coordinating that and getting the messages out there and getting people to do it and then doing all the updates. That's the pain point. And that's why some businesses will just go, let's just, you know, we'll do what we can, but we don't yeah. have a plan to fix that particular service level problem. If, if you've got that sort of agility to be able to go press a button and things happen, and you can take your 200 people and get them all to do slightly different mixes of things. And suddenly your queues go from 20 people in the queue to two people in the queue. The customer experience that comes out of that is just phenomenal. And, you know, happy customers are loyal customers and you don't have to spend any more money recruiting new customers. Everything becomes much more cost effective. It, these are the, the businesses that are going to survive and, and thrive. And going back to one of your earlier points, just in that example you gave then about someone that identifies that there's a problem at two o'clock. If these, if the analysts have been freed up to analyze, it's far more powerful to say, do you know what? We, we have a problem at two o'clock, three weeks out of five. All of a sudden, then people aren't going to be going, because there is an acceptable level of going, yeah, we can't do anything about it right now. Yeah. So, however, if your guys, to your point about, it's about people doing the right thing, the, the things that are going to add the most value and taking away the, the administrative stuff that's always the same, then allows them to analyse and, and build a bigger case, I guess, to say this is more than just a, a problem at two o'clock today. Um, 100%, and it's that analysis. And just think of the value that that adds. You go back to your schedulers and you say, actually, guys, three weeks out of five, you're causing us a... An issue with the, with the schedule mix that you're putting together it's not reflected in the forecast but but it's happening um so can you go away and fix that suddenly you're if not ahead of the curve you're at least right behind it aren't you 
So mm. you, you can, you're, you're actually using live information quickly and adeptly to then change the way that you're going to plan for those circumstances in the future. It's absolutely vital. There is, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop myself. I was going to say, there's no point in having a planning team if you can't do that, but that's not true. But it, it, you are seriously stymieing your, your planning mm. function if you're not giving them the opportunity to actually do what you pay them for, and that's do the analysis. How have you seen the tools in planning change, technology change in your time? Well, I'm so old. Um, <laughs> I remember the days before WFM systems. So when they first came in, um, you had a lot of naysayers, um, people who used Excel saying, oh, well, I don't need a system to do this. Um, and there was a bit of resistance. And now it's very rare to find any, any contact center without a sort of top of the line WFM system. Mm. But WFM, that was the last real change until Interrail Automation came along. So what WFM providers are doing is they're making their algorithms tighter. They're making their front ends uh, more user-friendly. They're adding certain bits on like uh, shift bidding, um for you know you can actually bid for a seat on some of them in a building you name a seat and somebody go i want to sit there um so they're, they're adding bits and bobs and bells and whistles and and you know they're, they're much better now but genuinely between the uh arrival of wfms and intraday automation software i don't really think there's been a tremendous amount in terms of wfm and interday automation is just designed to just take the bits that the BFM can't help you with and help you with it and you know, sort of augment what you're already paying a lot of money for. Um, so that's a big change. I think on the other side of things, there's a lot more about speech analytics and there's a lot more focus on quality um, using those speech analytics tools. And that's been really, really good to see. Uh, I recently wrote an article and one of the first lines in it was contact centers aren't the battery farms of, of your, because they, mm. they did used to just be, you know, a factory for pain, didn't they? And, and now people are beginning to uh, understand that there is actually some benefit in listening to calls, uh, analyzing, what, you know, automatically what speech is coming out of those, using that data to inform people about issues that customers are facing but also being able to book in some time to actually have that quality feedback so that you can, you can really help to coach people and use your time in your business to, to sort of make them the best that they can be. So they, they're really big changes, but and I'm not just saying it because I work for an interstate automation provider, but the, no matter which solution you're using, it's the biggest step change that you will have seen unless you've been in contact centers longer than me. What excites you about the future? The, the future is really, really bright, I think. I think the um, I think we've heard for too many years now about the death of the contact centre and the fact that nobody wants to speak to anybody. Um, it's never been true so far, and I don't think it's going <laughs> to be true going on now, because no matter how many channels you've got, people will still need to, to talk to somebody. I'm excited by the fact that as we can get more and more mundane things handled through other channels, the actual calls that come through to contact centres are going to be 
you know, the really technical ones, the really interesting and difficult and emotive ones. Mm -hmm. So we've got a real opportunity in the contact centre industry to make our little empire, our little world that we that we work in, a real force for good, a real force for help for people mm -hmm. who are actually using choosing to call you. Um, I'm excited by you know things like the move into asynchronous messaging fascinates me at the moment it doesn't just doesn't work for me at all I, I i need to speak to somebody i'm old but you know the very fact that you can have an eight-hour conversation with somebody and you know both of you have spoken twice but your problem gets solved when it suits you to actually contact somebody that's fabulous but you're still mm. going to need contact center staff to be able yeah to, and to be able to handle the details of that so i think there's a, a real opportunity for the for the scope of what contact centers are doing to can to continue to grow or if they have been shrinking to bounce back um and to widen and i think it's four percent of the, the the workforce in the uk couldn't work yeah. contact center yeah and see that really growing especially the hybrid and, and with all of these other channels available to us david priest from key story it's been great to talk to you your kind of passion and expertise just shines through i think um I know you'll be open for this, but just to just to confirm, you're okay for people to get in touch with you and find out more. Um, I'd love to do another one of these, but in the meantime, for people just to get in touch with you, you're okay with that. One hundred percent, yeah. And you know, get in touch with me about about any of your planning concerns. I'm here to. I'm really happy to help. I'd love to have a talk to uh, as many people as possible. And don't, never hold it against David that he's a Liverpool fan. <laughs> you'll see the picture that he took with the cup the get out of rap cup is um in front of his uh liverpool istanbul shirt yeah that'd be you see you as a tottenham fan that's the only cup that you'd be photographed with really though isn't it well i can't I, i'm still bitter from a few years ago we just never showed up in the final you could have let us win it you've won it five times <laughs> come on <laughs> david thanks very much thank you martin been a pleasure Take care. Hey, it's John. You want to look and feel your very best? Visit the team at Cool Contours. They are the number one cool sculpting provider in Virginia. Their award-winning team of certified cool sculpting elite and cool tone specialists work with you to create a fully customized treatment plan to achieve your dream body. Learn more at cool-contours.com. That's cool-contours.com. As ranked by Allergen in June 2021, cool sculpting elite is FDA clear to visible fat bulges in nine areas of the body. Some common side effects include temporary numbness, discomfort, and swelling. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700.